Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, Egg Chasers. It's the Egg Chasers Rugby Podcast, the podcast about rugby that doesn't take itself or the game too seriously. Uh, I do not have the music because uh, I'm recording from my Egg Chasers TMO shipping container uh, in his Egg Chasers TMO shipping container in a separate part of South Manchester is Phil. Hello, Tim. How are you doing? I'm, I'm good. And we've, we've got the full hat trick of Egg Chasers TMO shipping containers in use at the moment. Um, no, wonder, no wonder there is a, a, a shortage of resources getting around the world. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, JB, where's yours? Mine is in the lovely Welsh town of Abersoch. Didn't you love mm. the way he said that, Phil? I do. You can tell he's North Walian. And I'm part of the crew here, although you might you wouldn't have guessed it. Very strange place, Abersoch. Very strange. How so? It's a mixture of local people who clearly do not like everyone else. I mean, I kind of see why. And then I don't know, people that dress like Steve Steve Diamond, I guess is the only way to put it. Um <laughs> Like, in fact, Steve Diamond's. In fact, everyone is basically like Steve Diamond here. They're in a four by four. Um, they wear bell staff or something like that. With I, with usually Prada or Oakley sunglasses. One of the two. Sounds sounds lovely. Sounds like right up your street, JB. I, I do you know what? I am a little bit too comfortable here now. <laughs> it is quite nice. Have, uh, have either of you been here? I have. Yeah, yeah. Lots. Not of... right, isn't it? Yeah. Lots of basically, it's it's Cheshire on sea. Chester on sea. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. <laughs> lots yeah. of people. Lots of people wearing kind of like sailing, sailing themed stuff, but not doing much sailing. Now, I mean, there's a there's a few boats out here. They're not not real sailors like you, JB. Not like me. No, they don't own them. <laughs> Well, this podcast, uh, we've got obviously two European finals to talk about and some other rugby stories besides. Thank you very much for listening. We're there for you every single Monday morning for very nearly 10 years. And if you appreciate that and you haven't hit subscribe already, that's one way you can show your appreciation and make sure every episode is downloaded straight to your device from whatever podcatcher you get yours from. So hit subscribe, leave us a five-star review, and you can also get more content at patreon.com forward slash eggchasers. And thank you to... Uh, our new patrons this week. Much appreciated. Um, so, you watched both the finals, gents? Yep. Only the big one. Ooh, interesting. I- I've got to say, and uh, w- when I look back, and congratulations to La Rochelle, talking about, um, you know, towns on the on, on the sea, ports, where people actually do do a bit of uh, a bit of sailing. And it's also a cognac region, isn't it? Not cognac. Um, well, yeah, no, it is. What's, yeah, the, you, what, what's, what's the booze that they make near La Rochelle? You're not, you're not a million miles away from Cognac re- region. I think it's, yeah, I think I it's think between 
uh, I'm sure we looked this up once, between La Rochelle and Bordeaux along the western coast is the cognac region. I think it is cognac then. Yeah, mm. well, they, they, were, they were toasting their team with cognac last night. Congratulations to La Rochelle. Um, and I've got to say, uh, and we talked about him when we didn't think he was going to play last week. But as soon as I saw Will Skelton in the starting lineup, I thought, yeah. yeah. Skelton with Awini Antonio behind him. It, it was interesting because you see, you saw that, which is obviously a massive boost for their pack. But then missing Todd Kerbalo and probably more importantly, Victor Vito from that lineup. Victor Vito is a huge, huge loss. And Haddad, the the kid, the lightweight kid who came in to replace him, who looked like a skinny teenager, kind of is a skinny teenager, but played absolutely brilliantly. So I, I thought I thought Victor for everything you got back from Skelton coming in, I thought Victor Vito would the loss of him would counteract that and, and possibly more so, but it didn't. Now, just before we start talking about the game, can I take us on a delicious tan- tangent? I know it's early to tangents, but Phil mentioned Cognac region last week. Phil mentioned a history a history po- podcast, and we're talking about the French. Do, does anyone know how French eat a certain bunting, a type of bird called a bunting? Is this the one that they drown in cognac? That's, that's the one. They literally <laughs> drown it in cognac. That's, that's how I want to go. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> one of the French presidents, allegedly, of his last meal had exactly this, a drowned cognac-soaked bunting, which apparently is so edifying to eat. You eat it with a towel draped over your head. Yes, because you, you have to... Don't you crunch through it? So that, <laughs> yeah, look, like you crunch, crunch through the boat. So you, you, you will eat it with a like a serving serviette, towel, napkin over mm. your head to, to hide how disgusting it looks for you to crunch <laughs> through this little baby bird. Apparently, oh, wow. you absolutely divine them. Well, the, wow. The French. Would you they, rather be eating eating the bunting as your last meal, or would you rather drown in cognac? <laughs> Give me the cognac. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. you know how you know how butchers sort of um, understandably and, and ethically go. I, you know, we shouldn't hide the process of how the the meat gets from the field to your table. And actually, mm-hmm. taking that to its logical extent maybe you should there's an argument that you should you should be willing to whether you do it or not you should be willing to potentially um slaughter an animal if you're going to then eat an animal i kind of think that's not a well that's what that's what would have happened in all of human history so but but i wonder if in france they have that same thing like no 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 come here little come here little jerome 10 year old drown that bird <laughs> then drink the cognac. Actually, that's a good point. Can you drink the cognac after you drown the bird? It seems like a waste. A waste. Otherwise, then the French they've probably got special drowning cognac. <laughs> drowning grade. <laughs> drowning grade cognac. It's probably better than drinking grade. <laughs> well, anyway. Very good. So anyway, but, did, did you see the, just just before and just before we get onto the game? Did you see the uh, the scenes from the port in La Rochelle? No, no. I did not. So I, so I've been. It's a very small. It's a very small town. I think there's only something like fifty thousand or fifty, sixty, seventy thousand people there. So it's a small town in in western the west coast, northwest France. And I mean, there was there were like at least twenty thousand people in Marseille that were La Rochelle fans, 
And it yeah. looks like every other person. It was a great time to have been, been a burglar because every other person in La Rochelle was at the port. The, the scenes looked awesome. So I, there's something I want to bring up about the two victories. But I'm not going to bring it up now. Remind If you don't bring it up later to me, I expect that you will. Remind me, because I want... Uh, it's right down, your, right down your screen. I know. So, I Okay, okay. So I know this, there's two things. So we've got two new winners of European tournaments, Leon yeah. and La Rochelle. That's great. And they were both a decade ago in the French second division. And there you go. What, what do you mm. make of that? Oh, I think it, it's just an... It's more... It's another feather in the cap for the point of view that the French model is one that England could, if they chose to, replicate and... I mean, it's working at international level. It's working at club level. It's growing the game in areas of France that haven't been traditionally rugby hotbeds. I don't see the downside and I don't see how it doesn't translate in some way, shape or form to getting rugby into not just areas of the UK, but into communities and being part of the fabric of a town, which is how we're going to grow the game long term. So I've long been an advocate of of a French type model in England. And I think that, it's small-minded to, and it's lowest common denominator stuff to to operate the way it currently is with the ring fencing and well, and lower, say, lowering the salary cap. I will say this: England as a country looks much more like France than it does like Ireland. But I think it's fair to say this final had two representatives of the two strongest rugby nations in the Northern Hemisphere, who, in my mind, seem to be doing it right at both club level and international level. But interestingly, they do it in completely different ways. Yeah, they, they do it in totally different ways. And kind of you've got to play to your strengths, um, the strengths of the um, the club game, the support, the talent pools, in the same way that Ireland do in one way, France do in another way, New Zealand do in a different way, and South Africa, again, for, for different reasons of talent and economic reasons, they do it in a totally different way and all are having, um, certainly internationally, um, they're seeing the, the fruits of their labours recently. I'd say that all the, those countries that you mentioned, uh, New Zealand, Ireland, South Africa, France, what, what they're all different, as you quite rightly point out, and England shouldn't just be a carbon copy of any one of those. It should be done in its own way, mm-hmm. which it is currently doing. I just think not in the, the, the best way because what England's current system isn't motivated by and doesn't seem to have the focal point being what those other four countries you mentioned are, which is the international team being the best it can be come World Cup time. I think the the, the English system is not set up like that and it's set up to basically uh, try and appease um, 13 club owners. Yeah, but you know, on the other hand, as it should be, you know, who is investing more money into the game than these club owners? The answer is no one that I can see. And that's, and that's always been my problem with, you know, the, 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 the romance of the French model and how well it's worked there is fantastic. But I just don't know if it's a great idea to rely on the next club coming up to be a club which is dependent on the next millionaire who's willing to throw away his children's inheritance because that's what you're looking at. And I don't know as well, I, you know, like beer it's... Um, Perpignan are down in Pro de Deux. I mean, if you look at Pro de Deux now, there's all sorts of great clubs. Would you be happy with losing all those great clubs in the 
English system only for the players to go elsewhere. I mean, all you do is cannibalize one club for the next. So I'm not not saying no, but I'm just not saying it's the panacea. No, I get that. I, I think my my response to that is kind of picking up on the investment. It's like if you were a very wealthy person who had money to invest, which is going to help take rugby to the level it kind of wants to achieve, why would you invest? Why would you invest in rugby union? Where you like Steve Lansdowne's looking at it and he he would want to spend more money. He would want to spend way more money, but he can't. Mm. Yeah, poor Steve Lansdowne, eh? <laughs> <laughs> and La Rochelle, the, uh, we spoke about this before, but when the um, new owners or recent owners first got involved and set this trajectory that has culminated in this European Cup win, they um, consciously and deliberately went out to all the local businesses and offered up a small stake in the clubhouse to get the local butchers, patisserie, boulangerie, the local wine merchants and vineyards all bought in to La Rochelle and the brand and effectively the whole town behind them, which is why I've just looked it up. La Rochelle is 77,000 people, um, which is which is the equivalent of... So it's, it's just slightly bigger than Burton-on-Trent and South Shields, just slightly smaller than Bury and Newcastle under Lyme in, wow. when you compare it to English towns. So it is, it is tiny. Um, None of those is, towns have U-boats uh, pens. <laughs> what's what's, the, uh, what's South the Shields, mate? What is the population of Abbasoch? <laughs> uh, not very much, mate. Pallelli is slightly bigger. Pallelli actually probably isn't a million miles away from what uh, La Rochelle is. Wow. Let's have a quick look at Abbasoch. It depends. Uh, Abbasoc's official um, population 2020 census 2,600. Wow. And Pateli? Uh, um, Pateli is 4,000. Wow. Okay. So, yeah, considerably small. Yeah. And the other 65,000 are live permanently in, in Cheshire. Yeah, yes. exactly. Correct. Yeah, I've played a lot of rugby against Pelley. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting though. It's such a you know such a small town now has such a dominant such a dominant dominant rugby team. The the best in Europe, and I mean the, the one man. There's there's one picture as well as well as the scenes of La Rochelle Port. The other thing that there was a, an image that's been shared most was the image of Johnny Sexton standing over Ronan Agara, jeering at him as he's on the floor in his Munster shirt trying to get up. I, I, I can't remember what game it was when that happened, but... Leinster Munster. It was Leinster Munster, obviously. <laughs> 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 I think it must have been a big showpiece occasion, but uh, whatever the case, um, yeah, a, a poetic a poetic moment for Rog. Incredible. Mm. Isn't it incredible? I, I wonder what Ronan Agara does next, because having... Well, now he's a European champion. Oh, isn't it? This the La Rochelle team is pretty young. You can stay there, and also he's got T- Teddy Thomas to play with next year as well. So that's very exciting for him. Or mm. does he just wait for the next international team's call? Because he must be next cap, cap off the rank. He must be for some of them. For someone, he can name his job. He he could. Yeah, he's got the world at his feet now. There'll be some big offers flying in. He, he's. We spoke about this before that. He's still so young, relatively speaking, in coaching terms that he doesn't necessarily need to rush it. 
He doesn't. He's got to wait until he gets the right job that fits him and where he fits, rather than just take the first international job that comes along, which might not necessarily be the best fit and might harm his reputation. So do you know what? I was listening to a podcast the other day about uh, American politicians. It was an American politics podcast. And it was very kind of nuts and bolts politics, i.e., you know, who runs in which district and, you know, who does what and who can run for the presidency. And one of the points that they made is they just had a long list of people whose stars had fallen, who'd done very, very well in, in, in politics. Their chance to run for the presidency was, say, 2016 or... Uh, 20, um, 20, 2012 before that, and how if they miss the boat, they ne- you know they they might never have that chance again. Uh, you know, putting it into a rugby point of view, it's kind of like when I interviewed Matt Tate and he got to World Cup final. It went, when was that? Like it, you know, <laughs> um, very early on in his career for him, I guess he thought he's going to go to World Cups all the time. And I'm thinking for Ronan Agora now, it's nice to say take your time, but. What happens if you never win this again? Or what happens if it goes south in La Rochelle and next job you pick up is in Connacht or Worcester? Or, you know, you, you might never be here again, so take the big job. And to, dove, to dovetail that with just another example, when people are talking about who will take over from Eddie Jones next year, far fewer people are saying Rob Baxter. Yes. Mm. He was yeah. absolutely shoo uh, here's one for you. What if um, Ronald Gore sent a CV to the RFU? Well, he mentioned it, didn't he? He said he, he was on uh, BT Sport, I think, where he got asked the question and he said, kind of gave a response that was along the lines of, well, you'd be crazy not to take that job. Like, it's, it's, it's the biggest job in world rugby. It's the best paid home? job best paid job in world rugby. You'd, you'd have to be involved. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I do... There is a sort of reactionary element, isn't there? Oh, he, you know, this guy's won something, he, you know, uh, and therefore we think he should be in charge of all the all the international teams now. Actually, <laughs> he won a European Cup, but that that's absolutely fine. You absolutely deserve that uh, uh, those sorts of plaudits. Mm. And and he does because I, I think the way that La Rochelle won this game, um, they they were the better team for most of this game. They created the most trans- chances. It was three tries to zero. Their defence was excellent throughout and they sh- repeatedly just shut down that monstrous Leinster pack and also a very dangerous and very cohesive Leinster backline. And it, it, it did because Leinster are so good and stayed in the fight and uh, Sexton's nous and kicking ability kept them ticking over and kept them well ahead for pretty much the whole game. But it took until the 70 uh, 78th minute, 50th second for them to, to score that winning try. Can I just uh, make one more? Can I just co-opt uh, Ogora's success one more time, sort of shoehorn one of my pet hates in and make a point, more or less, you know, a point which I want to make, which is rather than one which is pertinent to him. But is there a kind of a story here when all the unions are saying to their players, look, don't go overseas, and if you do, you can't play international rugby. Um, you know, your future is in this handful of clubs. And if you dare deceive us, you'll you'll be punished. Is there not a bit of a story here that Ronan Agora has not gone through the national system? He's not a coach of Munster. He did not. He was not an assistant coach at a province somewhere or a club coach in Ireland. He's just gone out and done his own thing. And I think that there is kind of a story, which is 
you know, if you don't fit the, ma- the, the national pathway, and he might have fitted the, the national pathway, I don't know, but he certainly fits the pathway that that he has chosen. And I think, you know, we should give players a lot more. Well, if we can do that for coaches and they can go and win European Cups, there's no reason why we can't, why, why we can't let players do that also. So to some nationalities, some countries specifically do that, like look at the sabbatical deals that have been offered to guys like Ben Smith and Dan Carter and Kieran Reid and, and various others um, and people like Bernard Foley as well for, from Australia um, and most of the South Africans more, again, from a, an ec- economical perspective. But in, in England, it, it has been done, although to a much lesser extent, like ha- look at Haskell. Would Haskell yeah. have been the player that he was from 2016 through to 2018 when he was arguably when, when Eddie Jones brought him kind of back in, he was one of the best open sides or one of the best flankers, six and a half in the world for that period of time as a consequence of his background. And, and the other one a bit more recently would be Marchant, who went to New Zealand for a period. Well, so I, I don't um, think... Piers Francis. Who ever heard of him when he was playing over here? But yeah, he, he, no one. He wasn't... Um, he got, as in, he wasn't really playing. Or he was playing kind of championship level, wasn't he? Um, so I, I think there there are two things at play. I, I don't necessarily think the RFU would have an issue. England RFU, Eddie Jones, whoever would have an issue with it as a stepping stone, as a um, a, a market to get experience. The problem is it um, it then. Yeah, we we know the problems it causes for the national squad and getting together in camps um, from availability perspective, but also the problem it arguably weakens the league, which is not something that the clubs want. And you've got this tension in England between the clubs, as we've already spoke about on this pod, and the RFU. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, I would, looking at the, what it has done to some coaches and players... I would say the best thing you can do is get out of your comfort zone and get playing in um, a different different setup, different environment, different country, different culture, unless, of course, you're South Walian, and then it just tends to end horribly badly wrong. Yeah, in which case, a different culture is Bristol or Worcester. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what I can say about Ronan Agara, <clears throat> excuse me, is that wherever he's gone and whatever role he's had, he has... Yeah, obviously he's fitted in with a system. He wasn't always a head coach, um, and he was the was he the defense coach at um, at, at Racing when he first went there, and that was his first big appointment, wasn't it? Abroad. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, and yeah, and I I remember interviewing him there, and he um, went out for a European game, and he was the same kind of intensity and fire and steeliness in him. Like I don't know if you saw the, his his post match interview yesterday. I mean, he just looks so intense and actually was sort of like a bit, he, he seemed almost like he was enjoying it, obviously, but he, he also seemed a little like angry almost, but it was just that intensity and that passion. It's not, it wasn't anger, but it was that intensity. But he, he had that when I, on a cold December night, Rassing, they were a bit of a shambles and they got turned over by Leicester and he spoke, uh, and even just as a defence coach, he was like, that th- th- those boys, their attitude is not right. It's not on. It's not good enough. And, uh, uh oh. And, and so he he was calling it out even when he wasn't the main man nearly 10 years ago. Point being, he, the, he has done it his way the whole time. Yeah, the only time I've ever seen him coach was at Sale. And I was 
in the gantry, watch it. So I've never told this story before, but I used to sit in the gantry to watch the games. And La Rochelle came, John O'Gibbs, Gruno um, uh, Agora. And uh, the way they behaved in the gantry, I've honestly never seen anything like it. I, and it wasn't, it wasn't in a good way. I mean, it wasn't like watching very calm, meticulous men plot out a game plan and strategically beat the beat the enemy. Uh, they were going wild. They were going absolutely wild, effing, jeffing. But the, yeah, you are right in terms of the, the, uh, the passion. In fact, if anything, my takeaway from that was probably too much passion and too much intensity. Um, yeah, they, they, he's, he's very animated and, and very, very um, yeah passionate, it would be one word, when his team are playing. But clearly, as Phil said, that is allied with a tactical brilliance because he, the game plan, he just, I, I honestly didn't didn't see, I, I thought La Rochelle had a chance, particularly when I saw Skelton named, thought that was a bit a big, big boost. But I still looked at Leinster and thought, nah, there's there's no one, there's no one going to, going to, at the end of the day, take Leinster down and they dismantled them and no Leinster fan that I've spoken to or seen talking about it has any complaints whatsoever I, well I went back and listened to last week's podcast purely because I wasn't sure which way I called it and do you know what I said uh, Leinster no I didn't I said I, I simply don't know because everyone had persuaded me that Leinster would win this game In I, I can't say I, I thought La Rochelle would, uh, would win because I would have said it last week but I did think that La Rochelle would win. I, I, you know, I, people talk too too highly of Leinster, uh, not because they're not a great team or great individuals. I think both those things are true. But m- my takeaway from this is, when's the last time they got really tested? Really, really tested. They played well enough, and they have enough good players to have won that game yesterday. But if you're not used to closing out tight games, if you're not used to, um, you know, taking it to eighty minutes. It is difficult, and that's why it was such a lottery, and that's probably why they lost it right at the end. Yeah, and it, it, that was one of the things that impressed me most about La Rochelle was um, French clubs often get stick for their fitness, sometimes rightly, sometimes wrongly. Mm. In this game, they played, of the last 15 minutes, they played 10 of them down to 14 men because of the stupid, stupid trip on uh, Jameson Gibson Park by the the non-skeleton second row, uh, yeah. Lavolt. Um, but so I was when when that happened. I thought there's no way, there's no way that these boys are too big, too heavy, too unconditioned, and they did. They they closed out, and, and actually that that last ten minutes, it was all La Rochelle. And actually, I think they only they scored with a minute to go, uh, seventy seconds left on the clock. As um, Wayne Bard's actually said, you got. <laughs> I think it was Wayne Bard's 70 seconds left on the clock. You've got 90 seconds to take your kick. So yeah. they, they knew they were going to close out at that, that moment in time. But had they have scored, had they have scored any earlier, I just felt that if they'd have scored after 76 minutes, I just think that Leinster would have got there. They would have forced a penalty because they, they Leinster, all of their points had come from penalties. They got into yeah, well- the red zone and they forced a penalty. I wanted to ask you this question, and you sort of giving the game away a bit now. But did the last ten minutes remind you of anything that we spoke about in, in last week's podcast? Ireland v Wales at the Millennium Stadium. No, no, no. I know what we're thinking there. We had the, the discussion, didn't we, about the NFL letting teams score? Oh so yes. And I wonder. I mean, I'm sure if you gave Lens to the option on 70 minutes when they're defending, 
they would never in a million years say, yeah, let's let La Rochelle score now. But I bet with hindsight, they probably would have. Yeah, I, I think if they'd, have, if they'd have kicked off to La Rochelle with, say, three or four minutes on the clock and the ball deep in La Rochelle's 22, I'd, I'd put money at that stage on Leinster forcing a penalty and having a, a, um, a kickable shot to win the game. But they didn't because no. it, it took so long. It's, it's testament to Leinster, but with, exactly as you say, with hindsight, they might regret it. It took so long for La Rochelle at the end of the game to break Leinster down, but they did break them down. Yeah, and you yeah, know, they did. I, I still think, even though they conceded, that was one of the most impressive 10 minutes of defence I've seen from any, from any team ever. Yeah. It was incredible. But it they was... should never put themselves in that position to start with. And in hindsight, you know, in fact, in a way, it's the effort they lost in the game because as soon as they, as soon as they conceded that, well, they've got no more time, but I think that breaks the team. You know, 10 mm. minutes and they still score. And you've probably played their best defensive 10 minutes of any side, maybe in the history of European rugby, right there. Yeah, and we did talk about it in a, in a, when we were talking about who we, the final we wanted, we, we all wanted La Rochelle to, to get through. And the reason being is we identified and we saw it again that Leinster, I mean, it's very few teams can do it. And evidently, the three teams that have managed it in the last three years have all had Will Skelton in the team, but um, <laughs> they can get beaten up. And they did by La Rochelle last year. They did by Saracens the year before that. And they did by La, um, by La Rochelle again uh, in this final. And uh, it, it's a cre- it is a credit to Leinster and it, it shows what a class team they are that, like you say, they were in a winning position and they, they never really clicked, never no. really threw a punch. And yet they still were very close to winning a European Cup. But they're basic, aren't they? I said this last week. They're basic. I know what they do. You know, they increase the tempo, nice little, you know, delay pullback plays. I've seen it all before. There's nothing that they... I mean, in a way, it's classic Stuart Lancaster, which is they are brilliantly competent. And that's it. You know, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, if you get to European Cup finals or semi-finals every year, that's absolutely fine. But I just think those, you know, you will win one eventually. You have to win one eventually. Um, but yeah, they, they they just don't have that top end inventive five percent, which other great teams do. That's why well, I don't think they're great. I think they're very, they're extremely good and extremely competent, and that's where it ends. Well, I, th- I think their performance against Toulouse, they were they were exceptional, and they mm. they had that they had that spark right throughout. What's what's probably most impressive about this? Um, La Rochelle defensive performances, they just shut them down. Like the, the back back row and the back three for Leinster are brilliant, brilliant all round athletes, ball players, everything, and all six of those players, which which includes European Player of the Year Josh Van der Fleer, which is well deserved for Josh Van der Fleer. Yeah, I've spare a brilliant. thought for Josh Van der Fleer by the way, having to do a Joe Launchbury yeah. and, <laughs> and get his Player of the Year. But they, they were they were Go all on. kept totally quiet by the. By La Rochelle. Yeah, well, that, and also La Rochelle did get three tries to nil. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and the three tries, you had the brilliant offload from Lades to Rule and the finish from Rule, which was sublime. And they could have scored again, you know. Which is is one, yeah, could have done. Um, But the other two two tries, you had one with a bit of death touch from the outside backs. The other two tries were brute force. And there's, there's yep. not much. There's not many teams that can brute force through that Leinster pack because it is it's an international pack. 
it's, it's it's almost a lion's caliber half of the pack of lions or would would be picked if you picked a lions team tomorrow it was amazing to watch that last 10 minutes when either either antonio would pick up or no not antonio but the other massive prop to, uh, uh, to, towards the end was it bosch yes bosch uh, or then skeleton and Every time someone picks up, it takes two or three men to stop them. Mm. Every single time, up and off the deck. Up and, that is what rugby is all about. I, I love that. I absolutely love it. But yeah, they, they couldn't. Yeah, you know, as as well as Larochelle did to stop them, Lancer couldn't 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 stop uh, Larochelle scoring tries. I think yeah. that's probably the more impressive thing. And I actually back to the Ronan Agora um, uh, strategic mouse. I mean. The way that that team was ta- tactically equipped, I mean, uh, I thought absolutely superb. Some of the backs movement, some of the way that they that they isolated the the um, outside defenders, absolutely brilliant. Mm. It's very very impressive all round performance. Uh, Alan B emailed us contact headchasers at gmail dot com. Do keep your emails coming in. We lo- love getting them. Uh, he says, uh, guys, how can Ireland win a World Cup if they can't even win a Heineken Cup? I mean, makes a good point. Let, let's let's just get Ireland to the semi-finals first. They can win a World yeah, Cup yeah, another time. Let's get them past the quarter-finals. Come on, one yeah. step at a time. Yes. Yeah. Maybe it's good. Maybe it's we'll make them get no. Well, it's quarter-finals. Quarter-finals. Also, just uh, sharing some stories of people watching the game. Um, uh, wait, how did you watch the game, JB? Where? What In a tent on a phone. In a tent on a phone. Okay, I um I kept up with the scores while I was at a festival, in a festival Ooh. field, and then I watched the game when I got back, knowing what the result. Uh, Neighbourhood Weekender in Warrington, just up the road, I took um, took Louis, my son there. And, and tonight, and this is a bit of a metaphor for sort of being a dad, I think. Um, well, he's there on his own, but the metaphor for being a dad was yesterday when I was stood back with some friends and uh, and he went, I'm going to go up, to, I'm going to go up in the front. And I just saw him disappear into this crowd and, the metaphor for being a parent, it was like, I'm, sh- I'm sure he, I'm sure he'll be all right. I've, I've taught him enough sort of streetwise skills that he'll look after himself, and I just, to, and I just have to hang back. <laughs> I just have to hang back here and, uh, and wait till he comes back out. But yeah, that was weird. Yeah, well, last night, um, the campus that we're at is basically yeah, it's not very full, but it's, it's full of families. And then right in the corner is this other little tent with um, a few cans of Coke outside of it and uh, a couple of cr- a, cu- a couple of cr- cr- crates of beer. Full of like 18-year-old lads having an absolute whale of a time. Everyone's shaking their head and going, oof, bit noisy. It's like, no. Absolute lads living their life. Yeah. Oh, actually, there was one, one brilliant bit. So, so Warrington's between Manchester and Liverpool, obviously, just, but yeah. just saying that for anyone that doesn't know. Uh, so this festival was in Victoria Park in Warrington. And there were loads, so basically loads of people from Liverpool there, loads of Liverpool fans that had booked this a year ago, oh, not, not knowing there'd be in a Champions League final. But the it was just quite funny. The biggest cheer of the night was just before the Cortinas played their their big song, Not 19 Forever, um, word got round that Real Madrid had scored and the most almighty cheer you've ever heard. Really? <laughs> it, was just, it was just quite Everton entertaining. Fans, City fans, Everton, United C- fans. Everton City and United fans all together, yeah. Rugby league fans. Yep. <laughs> uh, actually, there, there was a guy on the beach today in um, a Warrington Wolves playing kit. Full, full kit? Full no, kit. Just, just playing top. But I thought, yeah, you must really love you must really love the Wolves to be wearing that. 
<laughs> Liverpool is one of the few places, it might be the only place I've ever been where it's not unusual to see full-grown adults wearing full kit, just walking about the street <laughs> or in the gym. So like, like Everton or Liverpool, shirt, shorts and socks, just walking about the city. <laughs> I, ne- I never really get people who go to gyms in, fo- in football kit. And the reason I don't get this is like, you wear the football kit because you want to look like your favourite footballer. But by the fact that you're stacked and you're in the gym means you'll never look like that footballer. So you should never wear that kit. I, I just, there's something which jars about muscular, big muscular men in football kits. It's not like wearing a rugby kit because you look like a rugby player then. Or whatever else it, it, it may be. But, you know, guys with big arms in football kits just doesn't look right. <laughs> well, the, the look at festivals uh, at the minute is vintage football kits, apparently, of any type. Oh, it, always, it always has been. Always has been. Yeah, it has. Uh, I, I like this email from Henry Woodsford, who was sharing, he's sharing his experience of watching the Champions Cup final. Him and his girlfriend are travelling around South America for three months. Lovely. Um, and they made friends with a French couple um, in, I can't pronounce that, Ushuaia, Argentina. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd say Ushuaia. But I don't actually yeah. know. The southernmost city before Antarctica. Uh, so they're at their uh, hostel. So that is, I yeah. think that is where they make the Argentine version of Blackberry. Uh, the, so as in, as in Blackberry Hunter. As in the phone. Yes. So what happened is uh, Argentina, to modernise, demanded that Blackberry move production and they'd pay for it to the southernmost, southern, their southernmost city. So they're a high-tech a high tech economy. And this was about something like, it was under the old female pre, uh, president, and it was something like a month or two before the iPhone was launched, and that's why Argentines used to have uh, an, an inordinate amount of Blackberries because they were all home-produced home and they had to have them. That is why you don't centrally plan your economy. <laughs> but yeah, that would be the city. Good knowledge. Mm-hmm. So they they found common ground despite the language barrier. They found common ground with this uh, French couple of playing games of Uno, drinking cups of tea, and rugby, uh, because yeah. they they're new friends, uh, new French friends in the southernmost tip of um, the Americas were La Rochelle fans. So they said they would meet up in Buenos Aires on Saturday to watch the game. They arrived by uh, arrived by plane that a, a day ahead, um, and so they went and scoped out a suitable Irish bar. They were told that they would definitely be showing it, turned up on Saturday afternoon to find that they weren't, and neither was any pub in Buenos Aires um, because there was a, a, a miscommunication. They, they meant Champions League final, not Champions mm. Cup final. Uh, they didn't let it stop us. They got, they got a table sorted. Plenty of, how do you say that beer? Kilmez. Uh, Kilmez. Yeah, Kilmez. Uh, got, got a load of Kilmez ordered found a dodgy stream on his girlfriend's phone and they all cheered as they huddled around a phone in the most tense uh, final 10 minutes uh, of uh, a final they've seen. Passion was amazing to see and I've made connections and memories that will last a lifetime. Uh, It just goes to show what a truly amazing and unifying game this is. Amen, Henry. It's awesome. That sounds brilliant. Although if if I was going to uh, the southernmost tip or the southernmost city in the southern hemisphere, I'd want to do it midsummer, not midwinter. In um, Southern Hemisphere time, your timing's wrong, Henry. Oh, I'd take a three-year sabbatical any time at the minute. That sounds awesome. Is it three years or three months? Three months. Three months. Did I just say year? Yeah, that that too. That too. I would take. I would take a three-year sabbatical. 
Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. <laughs> uh, and Andy Hodson says that he's been listening to the podcast for six years. He says, love the show, blah, blah, blah. Um, I listened for six years and I've listened to the archive from the beginning. He's gone back, he's gone back and listened to stuff even when it's not relevant topically uh, in terms of what's actually going on in rugby. He still listens. And uh, f- Friday just gone, he was on a Teams call at work with a colleague. Despite working for the same organisation, uh, they're so often on opposite sides when handling appeals. I'm not sure what job Andy and Doncaster does, but sounds legal, doesn't it? Uh, mm. When he mentioned playing rugby, I asked where he played, to which he replied he'd grown up playing for Sandbach near Manchester. And I mentioned, and this is Andy from Doncaster, I wonder if he played with us at any point, JB. He said, I mentioned I'd briefly played for Broughton Park whilst at university, to which he replied, oh. what, you mean Rafi Quirk's Broughton Park? Many more person games than Rafi Quirk's ever played for Broughton Park. Or ever will, doesn't matter. So, so we've, uni- we've united and helped two guys that didn't know each other from the same organisation uh, bond. Um, and happy happy to help out. And thank you for listening, Andy. And Dan, and Dan, his colleague. Yeah. Excellent, excellent stuff. Rafi Quirk's ball. I mean, I, that's, that's kind of kind of irked me. <laughs> <laughs> it's JB's, yeah. JB's Tok H though, isn't it? Yeah, well, we well, just got. He, our... he only went to Tok H because he burned all his bridges at Broughton Park. <laughs> no, they definitely want me back, but I, I can't. I can't. I can't come back and, unless it's um, with Tok H travelling away. But it won't be this year because they've just announced the league structures and uh, they've reorganised all the leagues in the northwest. And we're still bloody level seven. So despite going unbeaten uh, this season, we technically haven't gone up. We've just gone sideways. Which that's what you, that's what you do when you try to go outside the RFU structure. You will get punished in some way, shape, or form. No, just on that yeah, point, no, don't no. don't go too deep into it because I've lined up a special guest for a podcast following the Premiership final. Uh, I've, I've got a special guest, uh, quite a well-known rugby luminary, to talk about that exact topic of the new. What? league structure so we can get right into some grassroots we, rugby we're having Paul, Paul Millam on <laughs> if only if only friend friend of the no. pod Paul, Paul Millam of Aylesbury Rugby Club he'll, if only he'll be too busy he'll be too busy yeah <laughs> um, but yeah if we well unless we if we can't get Paul we'll, we'll, I'll have someone else lined up and I just want to say because we Excellent. talked about we talked about Will Skelton a lot um, you he's one of those people and until you see him in person, and you'll know this if you've been to a Premiership ground and stood on the touchline and just watched him warm up, like he looks massive on telly. It, it you, you've no idea, and I, I'm pretty sure is he. Do you reckon he's back at his pre-Saracens weight with La Rochelle? Oh, that, that's a good question. He's definitely. I don't know if he's at his peak 
pre Saracens peak, but he's definitely heavier than he was when he would because he leaned out at Saracens, yeah. didn't he? He was looking really lean for yeah. for Will Skelton no. for a hundred. He, uh, he's 20, a big, yeah, he's twenty-two big, stone man. He's, he's a big, big, strong boy. So that's an, an interesting question because I guess the leaning out was synonymous with Will Skelton learning what world-class work rates and effort looks like. And I think that's what Saracens gave him. I think he came over as a good player, but I think Saracens taught him exactly what it takes to be world-class. I think if he can put on some of the weight and still understand what is needed to win rugby games, but there again, maybe he's changed his game slightly. I've not, I, I've not seen him play on a regular basis since he, still he played Saracens. 80 minutes. He played 80 minutes. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So. It wouldn't be that, but I mean, maybe he doesn't do as much of the hard work and does more, like more of the carrying work or I don't know. But yeah, I, I suspect he would be able to put the weight back on now and still, of course, retain that knowledge of exactly what it is you need to do to win big games mm. and how you do it. Speak, speaking of uh, impressive forwards, I loved Danny Prizo in this game. I thought, he's I, thought awesome. he, I thought he was superb and he was, he was, he was everywhere for a loose head prop. Um, not quite everywhere in the same way that Ellis Genge was being used as the primary runner in all scenarios by England. But I thought he had an absolutely superb game. He was class. Well, Ryan Lamb said of Danny Preso that he, that he can step you in a phone box. <laughs> I mean, and actually it was quite an interesting conversation because we were speaking, because I think Danny Preso looks like an actual cartoon superhero. Right? <laughs> or, or villain. I mean, I don't know which one you, you really want, want to go for there. But he is, you know, him and Genge, as a few others, who are the definition of what powerful props can do. I mean, they're slightly different. I, I think Prisu does have better uh, feet than Genge, isn't quite as powerful as a, first, as, as a first runner. But, yeah, remarkable, remarkable ball carry. Yeah, he was absolutely awesome. Loved him in that game. Mm. Did, did either of you watch the too long game then? Yes, I, I watched it all on. On Friday night, watched it live on Friday I, night. I, I couldn't watch it live because I was emceeing a, a, a little shindig. So, but I watched it when I got back. Same, same now, as this the other one. Brag. What, what was your little shindig? Was it the pre Oscars <laughs> or something? Or, like, what was it? It was a Manchester Metropolitan University ball thing. So, there's a load of ah, awards. And, yeah. I bet that was at Raucous. It, yeah, what well, it was wild actually. I, 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 I did it before the. I was meant oh, to well, do it in 20. Did the South Sharks players there or? No, sorry, say again. <laughs> I did it in 2019 and I was meant to do it and then they booked me for 2020 again but it, obviously it didn't happen but uh, oh, I just it's the what it is the the wildest gig that I've I've done just they are just <laughs> they, they just want they're, they're there to have a great time and fair play fair play they, they were really good fun but um I, I did ask him I did ask a few of the people on my table I said right so I I said was there any sales sharks play any stories about sales sharks players <laughs> in university halls at any point a couple of years ago? And, and they went, no, not that we heard. So liars. Yeah, absolute liars. Can't believe it. <laughs> um, yeah, I I did watch this game. Um little bit disappointing. I was a little bit disappointed in myself that for the whole of the first half. I kept getting confused between which team was wearing red and black and which team was wearing white. I kept thinking Toulon were wearing red and black. It just didn't... It took me the whole of the first 40 minutes for my brain to actually kick into gear. Um, but 
the team in red and black, which was Leon, were by far the better team. They played much, much better stuff throughout. Um, they were they were unlucky. Uh, well, not, unlucky is the wrong word. They should have gone up um, 17 points to seven at half time because uh, Nene Ashvili, his foot in touch, which JB, I don't know if you've seen this. It's one, no, one of the... One of the worst schoolboy errors you'll ever see. Yeah. Nene Ashvili had a brilliant game. He's awesome. Like 19-year-old Georgian winger, he's awesome. Until he was carried off because of a yeah. uh, an even Etzebeth clear out that I think will get cited. Mm. I'd, I'd be surprised if it doesn't. I was astonished that Luke Pierce did not look at that. So he, he got a replay, but then just kind of glanced at the replay and said, oh, nothing's happened. He's wrapped. Um, play on. Wayne but, Barnes also seemed very reticent to give any cards out, didn't he? Particularly towards the end of uh, the other final. So I, I can yeah. understand how it being a showpiece final event, you you must want to talk yourself down and out of cards. Yeah, but that I was think, very strange for Wayne Barnes. Actually, I thought there's, I thought both of them in general refereed the game very very well. I thought yeah. Luke Pierce. There would there are at least two occasions where he was given a replay. And he had kind of one cursory glance at the replay and then moved on before we actually conclusively decide what the replay showed. There was that clear out on Ninayashvili from Etzebeth, which he said, um, no, Etzebeth was clearly wrapped, which he did. But that ignores the fact that Etzebeth went off his feet and I think hit Ninayashvili in the head. So you, you can wrap, but if you dive off your feet and hit someone in the head, the wrapping is irrelevant. Yeah. Um, which that was um, the end of the year. Actually. He was in a bad, bad way after that, after that challenge. So I think that will get rescinded. Uh, sorry, I, I will get cited and looked at. Um, but the other one was the... And by the way, that could be the end of Elizabeth's season. Yes. Because we've got one more round of games before the playoffs. And then potentially, if it's a long enough ban, it could be out of summer tour. Mm. Um, good point. We'll, we'll see. We'll see, but I think that will get looked at again because I think that, I think that definitely met the threshold for a red card. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Um, I, I, the other one was the yeah. Nanai um, kick through, where Luke, the Toulon fullback, Natai, uh, you mean not Nanai, uh, Charlie Natai, Natai, yeah, yes, um, where Luke, the fullback, failed to touch it down, and then I think it touched Nanai and Natai's. Um, body over the try line and I think he gave it one quick look and then moved on but both of those if you've spent an extra 20 seconds on each of those in- incidents and everything else in the game was identical um, I think that would have been the perfect game I think, I think as it was he just was a little bit too too eager to move on from those two yeah I mean I didn't see the the manner of the win coming I, I, I came mm. back from Toulon saying I think only Leicester uh, Leinster sorry could have beaten that Toulon side on that night. They were awesome. Mm. So I, I thought they'd turn Leon over fairly comfortably. But um, yeah, fair play. Fair play, Leon. I mean, the Leon pack that they put out, if you just look at the names and the team selection, I mean, I've, I've sort of always had half an eye on Leon because friend friend of the pod, Carl Ferns, was there for so long. And actually, they should build a, a bronze statue of him outside the, yeah. the, this is, the I mean yeah this is largely his victory the other player the I players are the 20 the 23 on the night did a good job but the foundations laid by Carl Ferns 
No, they've got promoted, and if they had got promoted by accident without call, they would have got immediately relegated. So, yeah, absolutely right. Uh, the foundations were there, and you know, people like Jordan Tawafua in Fernsey's shirt just made it. You know, that you know, it was made that a bit easier, bit easier for them, really. But that is a monstrous pack. I mean, um, I did see the teams come out on uh, was it fr- on Thursday or Friday when they. Ke- came out got lots like uh, Gujon and Felix Lambie on the bench both of which are legitimate monsters mm. so it's a stacked team yeah and it, Leon were by far the better team um, Toulon because I, I didn't watch that Saracens-Toulon game and I, you you spoke about it Tim and obviously Saracens are no joke um, for Toulon to, to win that they must have put in a hell of a performance but we saw very very little of it here mm. they they're their greatest threat for the whole game was Cheslin Colby, but not because they could engineer space and time for Cheslin Colby. It was because the ball went to ground from them trying to pass it wide and Cheslin Colby was just scooping it up and therefore got broken field um, in front of him a few times. That was kind of it. They, they did very little besides that. Um, Parise, great captain, didn't have his best game, threw an inset pass for the uh, first try scored by a, a scrum half called Baptiste. Um, Baptiste, it, it, so he's, he's pronounced Quiu. It's certainly yeah, how it's Quiu. Quiu, Baptiste Quiu, which I think it should be Kuilude, <laughs> Kuilude, yeah. um, based on how it's spelled, but Quiu. Kuilude. Yeah, you had, you had a good it's, game. It's like, uh, things like Connect and Pate. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I don't. I don't like saying. Um, I. I. I won't. I don't like buying croissant from the bakery just croissant, because I just croissant. feel slightly dirty saying croissant. So yeah. I, I feel like one of those people that says, uh, "Yeah, we're off on. Uh, we're off on holiday to Madrid." <laughs> <laughs> um, Volavon. That's the other one. Volavon. Volavon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so I've been seeing it. Seeing it. It's not out of interest. How um, how many teams make the French top fourteen playoff? Is it six? Ooh, I believe so. Good do question. Like, do they have like the pre-play? Do they have like a wild card? Do they? Yes, I believe that's the case. I'm pretty sure it's top six because I think top six. Uh, they have the the quarter, effectively the the pre semi final. Yeah, and, so and it's it's really neatly balanced. Um, Claremont Averna in ninth on sixty two points. Leon are in eighth on sixty three points. Toulon are in seventh on sixty four points. Toulouse are in sixth on sixty six points. Level with Racing in fifth on sixty six points. La Rochelle sixty seven points fourth. Uh, and the only teams that have pretty much uh, don't have to worry about the final day of the season uh, getting through to the playoffs at least is uh, Bordeaux, Cast, and Montpellier. Who all of them can finish top, and they'll both they'll all be going for top two. So, talk about a competitive league. <laughs> <laughs> it's brutal, isn't it? it is pretty brutal. It's not yeah. the Premiership. It's good. It depends on your definition of um, competitive. Of course, of course, it does. Yeah, of course, ab- ab- absolutely does. And now, um, let's let's move on to matters kind of domestic. Well, um, well no, t- no, 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 no. Just just briefly, just one thing, just to tie up and finish off the European Cup. Is, yes, go. Uh, two things. It's um, is this going to be the what we're going to see for the for the forthcoming years, 
Yes, French, yes. French teams, Irish teams. I think we we yeah, I think we all agree on that. So we don't need to dwell too much on that conversation we've had. I, I think the next batch of playing innovation will come from from the from the Premiership. So I think the next you know change of you know the way uh, people play or something which requires a lot of brain power. I think that's going to come from the Premiership. And the reason I think that is because. We're going to have a league in the Premiership, which for the first time, I hope, the majority of clubs make money. And they can't spend that money like they used to on marquee players or just throwing it at player wages. So the question is, what do they do then? And I think they're going to be spending it on some of the best coaches in the world. Or if it's not coaches, it'll be coaching resources or coaching teams. So I I think in in the short term, yes, the squads of Ireland and the squads of the French teams are going to be superior. I think that the Premiership is going to catch up pretty rapidly in the next, well, medium term, three three to four years. Because well, of, of the lack of relegation, the parity, and also what do they do with that money? There's only one thing they can do, which is spend it on player development, spend it on, spend it on coaches. The, the player development is interesting, though, because you'll get to a point where, because of, because of the salary cap, if you develop... So you have to develop your own talent, which I completely agree that that will it has to improve if they want to do anything. If any of the clubs want to be competitive, they're going to have to develop their own talent. But as soon as you develop a squad of good players, um, look at the Exeter squad kind of being dismantled a little bit at the moment, or look at the historic um, talent pool that is, has been created by London Irish, but not retained by London Irish and usually goes to play for London Irish West or Leicester or Saracens or wherever. Um, the retention is going to be the biggest problem because as soon as you develop five or six young players who are all of international calibre, you can't afford to keep them all. So yeah, you, you yeah, get... I get that. So definitely... De- definitely the player development. So when I say player development, yes, the academies and whatnot, and yes, they those guys will be will be going overseas. They will be going to France. They will be going somewhere else. But not all of them. I mean, that's an important point. Not all of them. The Jiffy will take care of that. Um, you know, so I'm not overly fussed on that aspect. What I meant is more the you know the styles of play and the systems and the processes and you know, ev- everything because they've got nothing else to do, nothing else to do with their money other than spending on on coaches. Unless there is a significant law change, and again, I welcome being, uh, being you know, having this played back to me in years to come, and go, how could you know? How could you doubt that the huge innovation is coming? But the professionalism and the conditioning has been the most overwhelming development in rugby union when you look at the last ten, fifteen, twenty years. Tactic, mm. tactically, when it's at a level it's at, and particularly. When and and this is where I think it's short-sighted to go. Yes, it's good to have clubs making money, but actually you're just going to a lowest common denominator by going. Let's not let let's not spend too much money because then we'll keep these little clubs like Worcester, you know, uh, uh, their heads their their heads above water rather than letting market forces do what they do a little bit and and welcoming in fresh investment, which might actually uh, be game-changing. You're going to have. I mean, you're saying you're going to spend money elsewhere, but you're not. You're not. I don't know. I'm I'm jumping around with my not really making one coherent point. What I'm saying is, I think the general point is, how much innovation do you think there can be that then France and Ireland can't, can't just replicate? I literally mm. think that's the best. The best part about rugby is the complexity of the sport. 
no matter how long you play and how many different positions that you do play, you never get to understand it all. Uh, so I think there's room for loads of innovation. And, you know, uh, and we look back at, say, when Exeter started winning things. I mean, Exeter spend a lot of money, don't get me wrong, but they didn't uh, rock up to the European Cup with absolute world superstars. It wasn't a world 15. That was a, a victory of systems. Pat Lamb, I've got loads of criticisms of, of Pat Lamb, but I'll give him his credit. It's a fairly unique system that he runs in the Premiership. And they then want a Challenge at- Cup. They want a Challenge yeah. Cup. And you look at lads like um, Alex Anderson in uh, in charge at Sale now. Some of the stuff he he does is well, yeah, it's not something I'd be doing, but he is trying things all of the time. You know, some of it is absolute nonsense. Other other stuff is really really effective. So that's kind of what I hope the Premiership becomes is like a laboratory of really really bright up and coming coaches. I mean, Borthwick is a great example. Lee Lee Blackett is a great example. If they start giving more coaches like Lee Blackett an opportunity in the Premiership, I can see it improving rapidly. As will all the ideas and concepts, styles of play, so on and so forth. Or, or Skivington. Skivington's a great example. There's another good one. Yeah, I mean, if you knew what they were doing with the, with their lineout drive behind the scenes as to how they get it so effective, you go, wow. That is some amazing thinking. Hmm. Yes, I think I'm not sure. I it think will it make take... up for top end talent, though. I will. Well, I will start that. It will not make up for having top end talent. Yeah. And, and on the and on the Exeter point, I'll just say again, maybe that maybe it's a, an example that can, when one team does identify a, a way of playing that can be really effective and can overcome some of the disparity between like Exeter's budget will have been well below some of those d- Toulouse, and, Toulouse yeah. and, and and the like and Leinster and they won a European Cup and then World Rugby came in and went no you're not we're going to change it so you can't really do that anymore cheers lads <laughs> yeah I mean I'll just give you an example of something which is so prim- premiership actually it's probably so, so Saracens more than anything else but the reverse Scorpion or, or whatever the hell that was called for two weeks oh yeah I mean, that's, that, that blows my mind that they bothered reading up on the rules. And someone at training went, Mao, just stand here. Does this make any sense? Well, the rules say it does. I mean, it's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So I do think the innovation will come from the Premiership rather than the, you know, the URC, where it's just basically a, uh, you know, a holding league for international players or a pathway for international coaches. Just stamp, stamp the right boxes, show up at the right time, and hopefully you'll get, get an international side. But the trophies uh, won't come from the Premiership, I think, is what we're generally what we're basically saying. not in Europe, not for a little while, I don't think. No, yeah. and so so the second point I was going to ask, or second question I was going to ask is, again, let's not go too deep into this, but broadly speaking, the South African teams are joining the champions in the Challenge Cup next next season. Mm. I loathe that it's happening, but it's happening. What do you think? Uh, maybe. Who is the administrator? that looked at the wild runaway success of the later years of Super Rugby and thought, yeah, we need some of that. Because that's what they've done, isn't it? I've, I think we've said this time and time again. The more complex you make a league structure, the worse it gets. So two, two bloody conferences in the URC. Yeah, I get it because I've bothered looking into it. But if you're dipping in and out of rugby and you don't know you know, how the two you know, the two teams interplay with each other and you know, where they are relatively in each conference and you know which one is better than the other, uh, it doesn't work. And it's the same with 
being rugby, you know, the more convoluted you uh, you make it, the more different teams, the more, I mean, the time zones aren't a big deal, but, you know, all the travel, it just doesn't work. Nobody has any idea how good the South African teams really are because I don't think the URC is the best showcase for that. Uh, And it just adds an extra layer of uh, complexity into why I I still think, actually, the European competition is the best competition, uh, yeah, probably in in all of rugby. I think the Premiership is the best uh, domestic, domestically, but I think the the uh, the, the Heineken Cup, and particularly the final, is probably the best occasion in in world club rugby. I don't think the South Africans add any, anything to it. Particularly, I mean, where do they play their home games in South Africa? Yeah, they, I'm pretty sure pretty sure yeah, they will do. And, and, and that's important to say because uh, you know I am a turkey voting for Christmas here. I'm 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 in a position where I, there is the potential you know, not taking anything for granted, but there's a potential that I could, I could be going, right, I'm off to Cape Town, lads. See you later. But <laughs> I hate it. I hate, I really, really don't like it. I, yeah. I'm probably less negative about it than you guys. Um, I, I, I'll be proven wrong. And the travel does seem ludicrous because you, you are going to be, you at times you'll be traveling there and back for a game on a Sunday we tra- flying out to Cape Town for a Friday night, like a 14, 16 hour flight, and then back to play a, a Friday or Saturday the following week, which is that is pretty pretty brutal. But then they're all pros, so they, they should be able to do it. Um, but on, on the overall thing, so they they're not no one's looked and said, Oh, this is this is the the spice to make the perfect um delicious meal. Yeah, what they've right. seen is a market of 55,000 people, uh, 55, 55 million people in South Africa, where all of a sudden you can make um, Heineken Cup and Challenge Cup rugby more attractive and therefore more profitable to 55 million people. That That is the overwhelming force. And given how unprofitable rugby is at the moment, with the exception of um, the few biggest um, unions, then... That's not. You can't uh, turn your nose up at that. Well, yeah, I, 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 I think it's sorry. Um, I'm sorry to talk over you, JB. I think it's to JB's point. I think it's that whole knowing the price of everything and the value of nothing. Yeah, like, well, this, we this... have literally seen this line of thinking in Super Rugby, haven't we? Like, oh, J- Japan's a big country. Sunwolves, anyone? Uh, and it just doesn't seem. It just doesn't work. Uh, they did the same with um, Hag- Haguares. Uh, why they? Why the European uh, rugby community think? Oh, fifty-five million people. We just need to fly down there, and they'll be hooked. It doesn't work. Does not work. We've seen it. Time. We've even seen it in Europe, haven't we? Oh look, it, um, Italy, a country of X amount of million. So one of the funniest things is when uh, back in the day, you are um, top fourteen um, bods tried to convince uh, convince us that their market was the biggest, and they based it on the fact that they had Italy involved with two teams. It's, it's nonsense. It's nonsense. So the other side of it is the, these are good teams. The Bulls, Stormers, Sharks are all in the, well, they're, those three make three of the top five in the oh. URC at the moment alongside Ulster and Leinster. So the, these are good teams. When when Ulster played, the Sharks uh, beat the Sharks about two or three weeks ago. There was about five World Cup winners playing for the Sharks. Yeah, now, this is something I'm not sure I did see the team sheet for that whole game and I was pretty impressed. I'm not going to lie. 
is that the case of every week, week in, week out, they play those sort of teams in the URC? Um, it, it, to the same extent that um, Ulster and Munster do, they're, they're, they don't have the depth that Leinster do, so they can rest everyone. But yeah, yeah they, they play Khaleesi, for example, and Mapimpi and Bongo Mbanambi and Thomas Detoy, etc., and Lucano Am. They are legitimately playing in that league. They're all playing for, for the Sharks. Yeah, I mean, there is a difference, isn't there, I guess? Treviso, Zebra, Palmer, Sunwolves. It's a nice thought that they come in and make and make an impact, and they have for years. Well, Treviso might have a little, a little bit. These South African teams are clearly not those organisations. I think that does that is worth thinking about. I guess from that point of view. Yeah. So I'm, it's it's not. It wouldn't be my first choice, but it balances the the financial um, position with also what is potentially an enhanced product. I'm not saying it will be, but potentially it is. Because once once those teams are established, you could get some big rivalry between, I don't know, Sharks and Toulouse or Sharks and Saracens. Well, Sharks and Saracens have probably got, got good links. Um, but, so it could lead to an enhanced product. Whether it will is another matter, but I'm just I'm just a bit more positive, or certainly a bit less negative, than than you boys on it. Mm. Yeah, uh, well, yeah, I think. Well, yeah, I think my I, I don't like change generally, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I come around to things slowly in my own time. I'm like a big tanker changing direction. It'll, it'll take a while, but but I'll get there. So you know, I'm 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 willing to be. I'm hoping. That I'm, I look back and go, I was wrong there because that'll mean we've got something great. But I think we've just finished a competition where, um, where it's thrown up some amazing mm. games, the history, the tradition. You know, I, 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 I just South Africa just seems a, like it's jumping the shark. Mm. The do, you know who else, do you know who else doesn't like change, Tim? Uh, well, okay, this is going to go for... We're going to go to... Let me think. We're going to go to either Eddie Jones or Bath. No. Ooh, Bath. It's, Bath Rugby Club. Is it they Bath? don't mind I, I was certain you were going to say Israel Flau. <laughs> yeah, he Should definitely we, right, does not like change. Here's a thought, right? Because this has just been pure rugby. Rugby, 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 on the field rugby. Shall we just, like... Stop this and do another episode that's everything off the pitch. Because there is a few uh, things bubbling around. Yeah, if you want to. Yeah, why right. not? Yeah, on pitch, off pitch. Yeah. Um, hold on. Because uh, I'm trying to think of the equivalents like um like front office operations, back office operations. <laughs> exactly. Playing staff, non-playing staff. Yes. So let, let's um this has been very European Cup focused. Neat Volivon. little, neat little ball on it. Volivons and 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 Abbasoch <laughs> and uh, and all the rest of it. So right, we'll we'll stop here. But in your feed will be another episode with everything off the field. Uh, find us at patreon.com forward slash eggchasers. Uh, contact eggchasers at gmail.com Hit subscribe. Give us a five star review. Let the boys play. The boys play. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of Tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.